Excellent. Well, joining me on the Godcast today is perhaps a man who needs a little introduction. Like me, he is a devotee, uh, maybe not to the Lord, but actually to Burnley Football Club, where we are both uh, keen Clarets fans. And uh, uh, I know prior to lockdown, Alistair was a regular visitor to our beloved Turf Moor. Many of you will know that Alistair is a British author, he's a journalist, a broadcaster, consultant, strategist and mental health campaigner. And he worked uh, as Tony Blair's spokesman and campaign director, and then as Downing Street press secretary. Uh, this year, I understand that uh, Alistair published his 16th book, which is some going. And Alistair, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the Godcast. How are you today? I'm all right. So I, I can say that I still don't do God, but I do the Godcast. Uh, well, that's <laughs> my opening line, really, shouldn't it? You know, yeah. a man who doesn't do. I'm, God. I'm having. A, I'm having a very. Um, a very godly week because I, I had a chat with the Archbishop earlier this week of Canterbury. Well, yeah, right. Okay. Was yeah. that? Can you tell us what that was about, or is that all top secret? Not really. We, we not. It's not. We just we, we just occasionally chat about this and, that and the other. He's he's actually quite keen on the mental health agenda as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think he's sort of. I think he's got this thought that one day I'll I'll see the light and I'll join you. <laughs> well, we you never know. We live in hope. <laughs> As my, sister, as my sister says, my sister's a very big believer. And she always says, well, you may not do God, but God does you. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I never thought I'd be a priest. So, you know, um, there we go. Did you, was, uh, was uh, church part of life growing up as a boy? Were you in the choir or Sunday school or, or just not anything? Um, <clears throat> my mum and dad went to church pretty much every week. Uh, they were Scottish Presbyterians. And we grew up in Keithley and we, we used to go to church in Bradford. And then when we moved to Leicester when I was about 11, then they found another Scottish Presbyterian church to go to there. So, um, but I, I, you know, my mum, my mum was somebody who loved singing and she, I think she'd admit that she went to church as much to sing hymns as she did for, for anything else. But Sunday was very much part of our kind of weekly ritual, yeah. Mm. And was it a was it a fond memory or was it just utterly boring for you? Uh, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. I quite liked, you know, the sort of felt like it was part of the rhythm of the week. Yeah. Saturday, Saturday was Burnley and Sunday was church. And um, but I, I, I think I was quite young when I started to think I'm not quite sure about this. Mm. Uh, I think one of my one of my first. The two of my first big arguments with my mum, one was about the monarchy, when I, I couldn't understand why we were all meant to sit around and listen to the Queen talk on Christmas Day. I just, I was about seven when I had that one. And then and I remember as well sort of giving a real grilling about, you know, why I should believe in God, just mm. because she told me to. Mm. So, Did you, um, I, I mean, I'll come back to politics in a minute, but as we're on the subject, because... You know, it's, it's well publicised that Tony Blair was, is, a, a, you know, a quite a devout Christian and, and uh, part of the Roman Catholic Church. Did, did you have those kind of conversations? I mean, I, I, I'm, I understand that there's quite a lot of Christians within Westminster and, and, and it seems that people just don't do God in the political setting, unlike in America, where it's, you know, it's kind of almost accepted. Well, it's not just accepted, it's kind of compulsory. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you don't, if you don't do God bless America, and you don't sort of get seen at church pretty regularly, then you know you, you're going to get marked down. I mean, we had um, did we discuss it? Yes, we did. Because I've always been, 
I've always been interested in faith. I'm interested in people of faith. And I once described myself, and I, th I think it's a good description. I'm a pro-faith atheist. I'm not in the Dawkins camp no. of people thinking that religious, religion is the cause of all evil. I think that, you know, I, and I see, I saw with my brother when he was dying, I see with my sister now, I think that faith, you know, can really give people something which maybe I don't have. Um, but, you know, and Tony, because, see, the thing about Tony Blair is he doesn't, I mean, <laughs> people may agree or disagree with this, but he's not preachy in the sense of his faith. Um, but I'll give you an example, you know, when we were away, when we were overseas, you know, we had to find the church on Sunday. You know, we had to find the place that he would could go to and, you know, and, and sometimes it'd be really difficult. I can remember once being in Singapore and he was in the church and, and I was sort of hanging around outside and, um, and something was going on, I can't remember what it was. But of course, because they sussed out he was going to that church, they sat him in the front row and there was a big fuss and everything else. Mm. And I had to go and interrupt him because something was happening. And he was not, he was not pleased. He was not pleased and he understood why, but he wasn't happy. No. Um, and then I'd say that the reason, the, the thing about we don't do God was never for me an anti-God thing or an anti-religion thing. It was, it was because I always felt in our politics politicians who spoke a lot about their faith were always liable to misinterpretation and the one time that Tony did it when we were in when he was in office mm. was when he wrote a piece for the Sunday Telegraph um, and the headline was it was it was a perfectly good piece but the headline was what Easter means to me okay and I said to him when he was doing it, I said look it's a very good piece and very interesting and I'm sure a lot of people be interested to it but I promise you by tomorrow the Conservatives will be saying, you are saying that to be godly, you have to be Labour. And that is exactly what happened. And he did say after that, he says, well, maybe you just can't talk about this. Yeah. To me, that's a sadness. So for you, it's, it may not be, but... Um, but No, but I think it's, I think, I think <clears throat> now, um, I think maybe now it's less, kind of, less black and white than it was. Hmm. Because um, to, to I think apparently... partly actually because... But see, Tim Farron, I think it was, I think, you see, I think it was held against him because of the way that his, his particular um, faith, which has very strong views on, for example, homosexuality, I think that sat very ill with him being the leader of the Liberal Democrats, and I think therefore became a political problem for him. Um, I think with other people, I, I guess it's the thing about, you just have to be careful in politics that you make assumptions about people. So, you know, we make assumptions that everybody's kind of brought up in, you know, if they're, if they're white and if they look a bit like us, we make assumptions that they're sort of brought up in some yeah. sort of Christian faith. And we might be very, very wrong. Mm. And I think you've just got to be a little bit careful yeah. in politics. But, you know, I can see why you would find it sad. And I can also see why you would wish that there were more people of faith who were in politics in senior positions and felt perfectly comfortable talking about it. Yeah. We'll come back to that in, in a few minutes, Alistair, if we can. I just want to just touch on the the uh, Burnley connection, and and I, I don't know if you've just kind of because I, I obviously old Burnley fans know that Alistair Campbell's a claret, but I, I was wondering how the link started, and uh, was it your parents? Was it just coming over from Keith? Because I know there's quite a lot of Burnley fans over that way, aren't there? There are, and there were even more back then. So I was born in 1957. So when I first got into football, my dad was Scottish. Um, 
hence the Presbyterian Church, and he was from the Hebrides. He didn't, you know, there isn't a professional football team in, in the island where he came from. So he kind of supported Party Thistle because that was the team when he went to university in Glasgow. Right. Um, didn't really have an English team. We were growing up in Keighley, sort of within a reasonable drive. You had Leeds, Bradford, Huddersfield, Halifax, Burnley, Blackburn, a lot of clubs you could go to. When I was four, Burnley were reigning league champions. Yeah. So if you wanted to go and see, like, you know, the really big clubs, then that was the place to go. Leeds were then, I think, in the third division north. Mm. Bradford and Bradford Park Avenue were struggling. Yeah. Um, so it was just, and, and there was something about it. And I know there's a possibility that we all romanticise the stuff that sticks with us from our childhood. So this may be a mixture of memory and a mixture of recollection um, in the true sense of the word. Mm. Um, but I do remember having the most vivid senses and the vivid impressions at Burnley rather than anywhere else mm. and I think it was partly the colour I think the colour of the team strip I think it was partly the the, the atmosphere was just you know better more exciting mm. um, and then what happened was when I was 11 and we moved south what had become a kind of you know a bit of a habit and I, I would classify myself as a Burnley fan it became a bit of an obsession you know when I went to school in Leicester I never, ever, ever, ever took my Burnley scarf off apart from PE, ever. Used to sit in the class every single lesson, no matter what the temperature, with my Burnley scarf on. Mm -hmm. And several times the teachers yeah. to take it off and I said no. Yeah. I think it was my way of being standing, just saying I'm not quite of you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very special club. And if you're a Burnley fan, you understand that. But... Uh, you, you get to sit in the posh seats, Alistair. So what's the inside story on the takeover? Is it, uh, is it imminent? It seems like it might be. Um, I think, yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, I, look, I think in an ideal world, I, I think one of the best things about Burnley has been that it's, it's kind of been owned by people who, if, even if they're not all from Burnley, they can definitely identify as Burnley fans. Mm. Um, but I think you do get the sense that kind of, you know, the way things have been, that something has to give. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not saying I've got this in the posh sheets because I've not been in the posh sheets for a while because <laughs> of lockdown. Uh, I'm going on, I'm going on, uh, I'm going on Sunday to the Arsenal game. How are you? Oh, wonderful. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing the Clarets player. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I miss Turf Moor so much. It's my release from my work. You're a happy I? place. Uh, it definitely is. It really is. Um, I've got to say, I, I reckon, go on. Well, I was just going to say, what's your take on that? You know, which side of the fence do you sit in terms of, you know, there's a, you know, there's been a lot of kind of, I've sensed a, an air of frustration from Burnley fans because they didn't spend any money in the summer, really. And, uh, you know, well, if there's a, if there's a sellout going on, it's, it's unlikely that you would, but it, the team needs a bit of investment, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think the other thing I'd say is that for somebody, I mean, I, I've got to know Sean Dyche really well. I mean, I, you know, I, I think he's a, I think he's a pretty amazing bloke. I mean, funny enough, I'm, I'm actually one of the projects I've got on the go at the moment. I've got my next volume of diaries coming out uh, sometime next year, and I'm, I'm going through them now. And it's that period when Sean joins. And it's quite interesting because, you know, people forget this. At the start, there was quite a lot of grumbling. It was like, what's, you know, who's he and what's he ever done and blah, 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 blah. Um, but what was interesting, I, I've, I've kind of, I can track, you know, First impressions, really, really positive. And then, you know, getting into fairly 
much deeper conversations with him at times, just genuinely being really, really impressed by the guy. Mm. And so, and I think, you know, the frustration has been, been obvious because when you see, you know, the thing at the start of the season, when you, you read those two-page spreads in all the papers of who's in and who's out. We had quite a few in and out and not many in. And you see the other clubs in and around us, you know, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, whatever it might be. But I think that, I, I, so I do think that, you know, that's what I mean about, I think that the, the change may hopefully lead to something that will, one, keep Sean engaged, interested, yeah. desperate to take us to the next level. But yeah. also I think you talk to, you know, you talk to the players. I mean, I, you know, I'd say I'm quite friendly with quite a lot of the players and, I always think it's strange about this. It's the one environment of football, I think, where they kind of welcome new blood coming in. You know, it sort of gives them a, yeah, a bit of a... It does. Yeah. It's, it's very much part of the footballer's DNA, I think. That they need that, that kind of sense of churn and mix. So yeah. hopefully... These more recent more. days, I mean, I never thought I'd see my club in the Premier League. Which players stand out for you, Alistair? You know, that, I mean, for me, I, I think of people like Stephen Defoe, just such a wonderful footballer. Danny Ings, who was obviously and and Trips and uh, 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 Trippier, and which players stick out for you when when you just think, go on, which ones? Well, how old are you? Fifty-one. I know I don't look so it. What, what, what was the? See, so I, I I still again maybe it's part of this kind of recollection. And I mean, I, I I I still think that the kind of peak, the two peak periods for me have been this one. The last few years, and it was ridiculous. You know, I went to all the Europa League, mm. you know, Aberdeen, Istanbul, and Athens. Yeah. I went to the hall. I've got to tell you a funny story about Athens, by the way. I was I was four seats away from a guy on the end of a row who literally slept through the whole game. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, I don't know if he was one of your one of your flock, <clears throat> but um, oh, you know, I'd say so. I go back to that period of um uh one of, one of my first, one of the first players I can actually genuinely remember playing was Gordon Harris, uh, Willie Morgan, Leighton James, Paul Fletcher, Martin Dobson. That team, I think, was, you know, you know fantastic team to watch. And then I think more recently, I, I'm maybe, you've gone for some of the glamour players. I'm a, I love um, Ashley Westwood. I love Ashley Barnes. I love... Uh, you mentioned, you know, Stephen Caldwell, I thought was, you know, he was yeah, a kind of captain, Michael Duff, yeah. another one. I like the ones that were kind of, you know, tough and robust and strong and you kind of knew what you were going to get out of them. And then, you know, I, I think the, that period when we were kind of really, really struggling, I mean, even that period, there was some, you know, there's still some fantastic players from that yeah. period. They just weren't, you know, I mean, you, every time I see... <clears throat> Harvey Barnes for um, for yeah, Leicester, I think, of his dad, dad. You know, in that game when he scored five goals. I remember that. I remember so you that. know, I think we've been very, very. I think mm. we've been, you know, if I may use one of your words, I think we've been blessed with a hell of a lot of good footballs down the mm. years, and and a, and a great club, and, and and also, you know, for me, do you know what's been interesting about lockdown? I've realised when I when the lockdown started, and I, I write a column for the New European, and they asked me to write a piece about twenty things that I'm missing in the lockdown. And number one, I started the piece and I said it was football, but actually it's not football, it's Burnley. And it's not even Burnley, it's being at Burnley. It's actually, it's actually the experience of being at Burnley. And I went last, last season, when we, when the, you remember when they finished the season and there were some of the games without fans? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I went to the game at West Ham, which we won. And I was doing the commentary with Phil Bird. And I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it because I realised, I mean, I've watched every single minute of every single Burnley game on the telly, right? But I've not watched anything else. No. no In fact, the, the, sport, the sport I've been watching more than any other is rugby league. Yeah, I'm the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. For some reason, they've got the they've got the fanless thing. They're doing it better. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a wonderful place. It's um, you know, you just think about those names. We uh, I've I had Andy Payton on the Godcast. Uh, he's got a great story to tell, and Derek Scott, who I'm sure you will remember, who's, yeah. who also is an ambassador at the club. Yeah, I got an old uh, blast from the past. Got Roger Eli coming up soon, so. He's, a, he's over from your neck of the woods. He's from uh, Bradford. And, there's, uh, a picture, there's a picture of him uh, on one of our family boards downstairs because when, when Rory, my oldest, was mascot for the first time, that was Roger Eli era, and there's a picture of him. <laughs> I've got Marlon Beresford downstairs. I've got Ian Misha. Rory, my son, he learnt to read through the Burnley programme, I'm telling you. Really? <laughs> he used to get the programme and he used to sit there when he was about... He would go... Beresford, Misham, Jacob, Deary, Pender, Davis, Conroy, da 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 da. Then you go again. Beresford, Misham, <laughs> he's to read the whole, you know, the list of everything. Right, so, yeah. that's a good story. I like that. I've got Burnley all over the house. I've got, I've got Paul Fletcher's goal against Leeds over there. I've got the, you know, that famous picture of the fans at, at, in the Cup final in 1914 standing on upturned right. railway sleepers. Yeah, I've got that one. I've got a Burnley shirt signed by Diego Maradona over there. Oh well, there you go. Oh, I've got a, I've got a Burnley sign shirt. That's all I've got. I got it when I left Argos years ago. They got they got they club together and got it for me. But uh, let me let me ask you about um, your love for Burnley. Does it extend to the town? How well do you know the town, Alistair? Well, I know it, it does extend to the town, um, but I don't. You know, it's not my town, as it were. In that I wasn't born there. I've never lived there. But I, you know, I know a lot of people there, and I I, I go around the place when I'm up there. I do quite a lot of you know, uh, Paul mentioned Paul Fletcher and I, last year we, he and I were doing this thing of doing music in Cayley in, in the old folks' homes, going around and playing music and stuff like that. So, and I do lots of events, mainly in a, with and in and around the club. But um, no, I'd say I know the town well. And uh, I saw your um, TV report and it was, you know, it was both, it was both moving. It was sad, and it was it was very very challenging. And I, and I you know I do sometimes think with Burn. I mean I look. I, I'm a Labour through and through. Even though I got kicked out of the party, I think that the I think the Labour government did an awful lot of good for some of the poorer parts of the country. But there are times when I go to parts of Burnley, and I and I just think you know we can't have done enough, you know, because otherwise you wouldn't have the you know, we would have made more change. And I think that, you know, what breaks my heart really is that this government has come in. I mean, you know, they still talk as though they just got in yesterday. They've been in for a decade. Uh, a lot of that pursuing policies of austerity, which have done, you know, possibly irreparable harm. Mm. Um, you throw in the pandemic and you throw on Brexit. And I know a lot of people in Burnley voted for Brexit, but I've got no doubt at all Brexit is going to hit communities like Burnley harder than uh, than most. Um, what, what, did, what did you make of that video? Were you surprised by what you saw? I wasn't surprised. I was shocked. If that's, do, you, do you know what I mean? It's like I was shocked, but I wasn't surprised, if that makes sense. Yeah. In that I know that that 
um, I know that you're having to confront that kind of situation all the time. Um, I mean, you know, I know people think London's sort of paved with gold. You know, there's an awful lot of poverty in London. Some of the worst poverty in the country is in different parts of London. At the weekend, we were out, Fiona and I went out, we went to Little and Waitrose and were collecting food to take to one of the, one of the food banks. And, you know, you, you hear some of the stories that um, you... Hello. Hi, I'm still here. Can you see me? I seem to have... Um... Yeah, I can see you. Can you? Mm. I'll just come on here. Oh, well, I'll just carry on. Some of these. Carry on. I'll let you know if I can't. I'll let you know if you disappear. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's just that it's nicer if I can see you. Can I just try and get rid of this without losing you? It's an. It's it's a it's a reminder of something. Hold on. So we were we were down at this this food bank, and you know you just. I don't know. It just it, it's just heartbreaking to think that we're in a country where so many people mm. have to use food banks. And it's become normalised so quickly. Yeah. Um, so I was. I thought it was very, very moving. I thought your, um, you know, your reaction was was incredibly human and strong. But it, it, it you know, I, I do worry that we've normalised a lot of this stuff. Mm. I just wanted to give it some. Uh, I mean, Pastor Mick and I are really keen to take the as much as we can take the pol politics out of this. And I've written this down now. So it's quite a long question. So. You, you're an experienced, uh, well, you know, you've been involved with politics for a long time. And um, and as you just said, the Conservative MPs come into place in the last 12 months or so. But, but Burnley for years, hasn't it, for 20, 30 years has been a Labour heartland. It's been a very hardworking, industrial, get stuck in kind of working environment. And I think that's mirrored across Lancashire and certainly across Yorkshire and up to the northeast. Um, and when I speak to some politicians, whether it's a Conservative or a Labour MP, normally the first thing they say to me is, we have given millions, we've given mm. millions. And I just don't think that is, I just don't think that is the answer. I remember when I was a kid, the dark places of Berlin, like Trafalgar Flats, which were like the no-go areas, and we were told not to go there on our bikes and things. Um, is it is it just the case that you know if you take Conservative and Labour, just politicians have just taken, they've just left the, the poor behind. Is that is that the reality of it? The poor have just been left behind by all governments. I think you see. I think what I can see why you say that, but I, look, I think that the. There's a there's so much in there's so much to unpick in this in this answer. I know people like you know you get a straight question, just give a straight answer, but it's it is complicated, and I just want to kind of track back a bit because I think what happens in the political debate, particularly with the media that we've got, is that people want to have simple answers and conventional wisdoms. You want to have a conventional wisdom. So the conventional wisdom is the so-called red wall, and I hate the phrase because I think it's so much more complicated than this, the red wall wanted Brexit done, right? But you've got to wind back from that. Why did people who want Brexit, why did they want Brexit? A lot of it, I don't think, was to do with Europe at all. I think it was to do with this feeling that you're articulating that people felt they were left behind. What they were being left behind by was, I guess, a change in pace of change in the world and particularly globalization that 
where we were in power, in government, dealing with other governments, looking at economic data that actually was pretty good, able to do the, the spending of the millions in the health service and in the schools and the short start and, and the rise in pensions and all the other stuff that we did, able to think that's enough. Or at least that's enough for people to think, mm, well, give them another go, which they did with us. They gave us three full terms. And I think we underestimated the, the extent to which that pace of change was not just about economics. A lot of it was about economics. It was they're rich and I'm poor. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. But it was also this community is changing too fast and I don't know what to do about it. And I don't feel there's anybody there that's kind of helping me to change it. Mm. And so I think that we saw the same in America with Trump. I mean, Trump, I think, was a product of the same kind of feeling. And it's incredible that he managed to put himself as the kind of the answer to that, given, you know, who he is and what he is and what his background is. So I guess that's a <clears throat> long winded way of saying that I think it's it is complicated, but I think it's about a sense that there's something a lot better going on over there and they're part of it and we're not. Mm. And, you know, I just think that, but it, it really, really saddens me that somewhere like, you know, Burnley, Keithley um, are prepared to put the trust in politicians that I just don't think, I just do not think of the answer. I mean, Boris Johnson's Tory party, I just think will be, a disaster and this this stuff about leveling up i mean it's it's a it's a fine fancy phrase what are you going to do just um what one thing that has been absolutely mind-blowing in this since my phone and mixed phone and emails have just been incredible from all over the world and people have donated incredible amounts of money which will enable us to do wonderful things. And, I, and I'm really humble and I'm, excuse me, I'm, I'm choked up by that. But, you know, in successive politicians talk about money, but the poverty in Burnley is not about just people not having a few quid in the pocket. It's about, mm. you know, they're, they're um, academically poor. They're spiritually mm. poor. Their health in many cases is poor. And... <clears throat> Excuse me, Alistair, but, but there's we've had Christmas assemblies at school and there's a, a lovely little kid in who, who's my whose face sticks in my mind because he looks a lovely little kid in school, but I know his circumstances. And I know that he's in a very difficult family situation. Mm. And I know that his parents have got very difficult situations. Matters of abuse and substance abuse and domestic abuse. I just think that somehow we've got to find a way without just throwing pound, out, pound notes at it to find a way to care for these people better. Mm. You're, you're, a, you're a wonderful advocate for mental health. And these people, these people have that as well. So they've got all those problems and all that mental health. <clears throat> you see. And Alistair, just finish quickly. The thing yeah. that upsets me most when I think of that little boy's image in my mind is that I can almost see his pathway in life yeah for sure was just, yeah. and it's heartbreaking it's absolutely heartbreaking and i, and I mm. just want a politician to come and say i understand i, mm. I recognize that and what is happening now is not enough and there's not been enough if you also want them 
right, but you also want them. You see, it's all very well to say, I mean, I agree with you that it's irritating when the default position of the government or any politician is to say, but we've spent three billion on that and two billion on that and 50 million of this and we're pumping this. I get that. But actually, you will also want, you do want the politicians who are going to come along and care, but you also do want them to do something about it. And usually, not always, but usually, that will involve some kind of public sector investment. That might be public sector investment. See, what you do and what you're doing is part of that. You're, you just said you're getting money donated to you because of that film, and that's allowing you to do wonderful things. So I think we've, and I do think we're going to have to develop that kind of, you know, social enterprise, if you like, that, that because I don't think government is going to be in a, particularly now with COVID and the economic hit that we're going to take, government's not going to be putting in the investment into a lot of these places that's going to be needed. So you do have to build on the social enterprise. But your point about seeing people and seeing their path, I was in, um, I did a, a visit recently to work, spending some time with the mental health team in Pentonville Prison, which is just a couple of miles away from here. And it's grim, right? It's grim. And I talked to the people there and I, you, could, you could go and talk to them and you would see in them, now in their 20s, 30s, 40s, you would see that boy. And that, where I think, what I thought you were going to say is that, is the poverty across all those, you know, those kind of indicators you're talking about, in a sense, it's poverty of aspiration. It's basically saying, this is all they're ever going to get. This is all they're ever going to be. That's what's got to be broken. And that cannot be broken until you do fix the education system, until you do have every child mm. with a decent education. And you do, and on the mental health thing, by the way, you know, one of the, I think one of the, you know, I, I will always defend the Labour government. I think we did a lot of good things. And I think one of the good things we did was the whole approach to classroom assistance. You had the teacher in front of the classroom who's doing the teaching. You had a classroom assistant there. I think we're moving to a situation where we're going to need that approach to mental health in the classroom, where there's somebody there, that is their job. Now, that costs money. You have to pay for something like that. And it might be. It might be that actually the community comes together and says, you know, we want to do that. But um, in the end, national and local government have to take the lead on this stuff. And it's not going to change without proper investment. You see, Alison, this is where I have kind of a third way. This is why I'm uh, torn between political parties at the moment. And this is coming back to the whole point of Christian ethics, Christianity yeah. in the mainstream. You know, and what I feel, I might be wrong, but what I feel that what Pastor Mick and I are doing, and particularly Pastor Mick with his work, is people who are in these circumstances have given up on government, they've given up on local council, they've given up on county councillors. But what's been there somewhat somewhere dormant has been this kind of spirituality and for many of these people and this is not me evangelizing it's just even being honest i'm not bible bashing here but they are finding that there's actually a, a christian group of people there that give a fit give us stuff and they're gonna and and all our goal is is not to convert them beyond you know like you talked you know we don't like you talked about tony blair about not ramming it down your throat it just show them the gospel of, of love and, and care and compassion. And, and I think there's real politics in that, um, in Christi mm -hmm. Christianity. Well, I can see that. I can see that. I, but, but, but I'd simply say, and, I, and I've, listen, there are churches all around the country who do amazing stuff. 
within their communities. Um, we've got one at the top of the road here and they, you know, the, the, they do all sorts of stuff that they will, and, they, and they're doing it by the way, as I'm sure you are, for Christians and non-Christians alike. They're just doing it almost like a public service. And that's great, but I would worry uh, if flowing out of that, people felt that they did just have to give up on politics because that route I think is really, really dangerous. Um, now I agree it's up to the politicians to sort of, you know, build those bridges with people and repair the damage of trust that has been done and has been done over generations. But I think if it's, I think if it's all left to the church, I think that's a very, very difficult place we're in. Yeah, I do. I do think uh, you know, and I'm talking about the Anglican Church here, and and um, and forgive people who yeah. might be watching or listening. But one of the things I like about the Anglican Church is this: in theory, we must we're supposed to be respectful. We call it mutual flourishing. That we can listen to different debates from the conservative right to the socialist left, and and somehow meet in the middle. And what frustrates me about politicians, and I, and I would include you in this, Alistair, is, is that. What the TV companies do quite often is they'll get you with your opinion and they'll get somebody somebody else with a, a completely different opinion and let you go at it like cats and dogs mm. with very little room for actually any agreement. And, and, you know, I'm sure you've got friends in the Conservative Party. I'm sure you've got friends in the Liberal Democrats. I'm sure you've got lots of Christian friends, you know, but it's almost as like a media and society wants to just say, that's your view. You know, I haven't got a clue what I am politically, Alistair, I'm being honest to you. I've completely lost where I am because mm. I just don't, you know, I, I don't dislike Boris. I, you know, he's, you know, say what we like about him politically. He seems quite a nice guy. I, I think Keir Starmer seems a very intelligent do, do, you, do, you not, do you not dislike the fact that he, that he, he tells so many lies? Well, see, there you see, Alistair, what I feel you're guilty of there is immediately you've gone for him. And that's absolutely right as a politician, but I'm just talking about him as a human being. Just no, about, no, but I'm talking about no, but I'm talking about him as a human being in a position of leadership, where he, I mean, I, you know, I agree. Look, I don't like the guy. I've known him for a long time. Uh, I knew him when he was a journalist, and I was a journalist. I knew him when I was in government, and he was a journalist making up stories left, right, and centre. But there will um, be politicians you do like on the Conservative Party, won't there? There are, there are. But you, you know, but but I, but listen, I, I, when you say to me, I quite like Boris. Um, one, I think when somebody is the prime minister and they've confected this kind of image so that we, we all, we, we're all meant to call him by his first name, I worry about things like that. I think about cult of personality and all that stuff. I think that, you know, you're in, you're in a... If I'll tell you, one of the things I talked to the Archbishop oh, about... Is, I'll tell you something we talked about was the... Um, um, oh, my God. We're talking about a passage in the Bible. Here we are, and it was the it was the let him without the first let him without sin cast the first stone. Yeah. Right, right. Um, now I think that you know we've seen it with Trump, uh, we see it with Putin in Russia. We you know I, I think it's dangerous that we appear to be having as our leaders people who really don't care whether what they're saying is true. I posted a video today of stuff that he has said about this, no, this Brexit situation, right? The opposite of what he's now saying. And he knew what he was saying when he said it. So I just find that difficult to deal with. Oh, and I know people will say, I know people will say, well, all politicians lie, but actually I don't think they do. 
Alistair, just to, I mean, I don't want to get, I just don't want to get into this, but people would say that was the case with the invasion of Iraq. I know they do. I know they say that. And I know that's not true. I know they say it, but I know, I know what I did. I know that I've been put through the mill in six different inquiries on it. And I know that nobody's ever, none of those inquiries accuse me of lying. And I know people like to say Tony Blyer and all that. And that I think is part of but do you not think I should probably be you're right to say, to where you have an enemy just hit them? Hmm. But surely I can say I don't agree with his politics, but I like him. You know, it's like saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I do, and I, and I, I think he's a character. I think yeah, he's, he's a character. He's great, a character. He's great for, for the political arena because he creates Neil Warnock. Neil, Neil Warnock's a character. <laughs> I don't want him to be prime minister. No, or a Burnley manager. <laughs> No, I, wait, wait, and by the way, where you're right, so for example, you mentioned Liberal Democrat, Charles Kennedy was, a, I'd say, was a close friend of mine. Um, I think in the, in the Tory side, uh, I've got, you know, I wouldn't say they're in my top five close friends, but I've got, I've got Tories that I would regard as people I like and that I could rely on, in, yeah. you know, if I was in difficulty. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just too tribal. I am very tribal. Your, your Twitter feed is very tribal, and and uh, and 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 that, you know, as a priest, you know, I, I follow you because you're a Burnley fan, and, and <laughs> you talk about you talk about mental health, and I want, you know, I, I don't think it's good to be angry at people all the time. I just um, find it, you know, I sometimes find myself worrying for you, Alistair. And listen, that's very that's very kind of you, and I, and I appreciate that. Was my sister or my sister always says to me, "You're in my prayers." Thank you very much, but. You know, I'll be honest, I, I am angry, though. I am really angry about what, what's happened to this country. And I don't believe that the country is alive and alert enough to what's going on. We have got a very right wing government that is removing systematically checks and balances on its power. A lot, that is what for them a lot of this Brexit thing is about. It's about saying we don't want any regulation. How, you know, you're, you're a man of the cloth and all that. And, you know, truth, commitment to truth. How did you feel when you talk about him being a likable character when Priti Patel, you have processes in government, the process, the system that the, the existing government finds her out for bullying and intimidation and Boris Johnson doesn't like it, says, well, we just, we just, we'll just get rid of the guy or the guy goes who, so the person who's found out as a bully stays, the person who does the investigation goes. Yeah. I, don't, I bet there's a passage in the Bible about that. Well, Alistair, of course, I disagree with people, but I think there's a way to disagree. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm I'm just a parish priest. I'm not a frontline media journalist. You know, I would I would try and um, argue from a place of calmness. I'm a, I'm a real fan of uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. I think she brings a real empathy and compassion to politics that is oh, really, sure, yeah. really missing. And I do think that if we just learn to debate and argue a bit more maturely maybe the word and, and not make it so vitriolic then I think um, we might be in a better place. Alice I'm, I'm mindful of your time I just want to ask you a question and, and, and god forbid I would ask you to defend a conservative member of parliament but I'm struck that the Burnley MP hasn't responded to this story at all and it's not that I want to to be known to him but why do, why do you think um, that might be? Hmm. Uh, written to him, it's I'll I'll say this him. without being vitriolic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, what, listen, what's, what's, is he, just, has he not replied? No, oh, well, that's unforgivable. That is unforgivable. Um, 
you're you're a constituent. I mean, that's unforgivable. Um, I'm and also, for, um, I'm not asking for a, re- a, a, a solution. I just thought it would be, as it has been such a big news item, it may have been worthy of just a, a, a message via Twitter or something, just to say. No, I think listen on something like that. On something like that, if you're an MP, um, who I've only met the guy once. He, he came to a game. Uh, I didn't get the feeling he was a massive football fan, but he came to a game and uh, I had a chat, and he seemed, you know, he wasn't unpleasant. Um, but I think maybe a little bit surprised that he was that he won, possibly. Um, but something like that, where Burnley, because the thing about Burnley, you know, we've gone about the football club being special, but the other thing that's special about Burnley, it is Burnley. So the, the parliamentary constituency is Burnley. So the MP for Burnley is a very, very important ambassador and representative of and for Burnley. So the fact, as you say, that that story got an awful lot of, you know, uh, coverage in, in the media in Britain and around the world, then he has an absolute interest in getting into that. Not, I don't mean for his own publicity, I mean for being in the issues. And I think that look, any, anybody who writes to an MP should get a reply, end of, uh, if they're a constituent. And for something like that, and I think particularly for somebody like you who's at the front line with a lot of this stuff that's going on, then he, he, um, uh, he's got to be involved. So I, think, I just think that's bad. I think it's bad. I think it's also, I think it's bad politics. Mm. Okay, thank you. Alistair, your time is up. You've got other things, and but I've really enjoyed... No, I'm fine. You can keep going for it. I'm looking at the thing. I've got about another eight minutes. If you want to, you're more than welcome. Yeah, I just... Um, well, yeah, well, okay. So we carry on that theme there. I never thought I'd see the day when Burnley would go Conservative. And oh. if, you, if you take Brexit, Brexit, the debate out of it, Burnley was clearly a, a Brexit voting town. Do you think that Julia Cooper just lost because she didn't represent the people? And do you think that, that Anthony Higginbottom is in danger of doing the same with something like this? So just kind of not, you know, not listening to the, or maybe he is listening, I don't know, and just choosing not to respond, but, you know. What... No, like, sorry, responding is part of listening. Um, you know, how can you listen? <laughs> For something like that, he should sit down with you and he should, he, he, should, he should get a real take on your views based upon what you see which was at the heart of that film. Um, but I think, look, I don't think the last election was that complicated in a way. Um, the, you talked about what you find likeable about, about Boris Johnson. Generally, generally in politics, this may surprise you, but generally this is true, optimism wins. And he was portraying, I think falsely a lot of it, other than Ready Deal and all that, but he was portraying a sense of optimism. Uh, I'm afraid I am, even though, as I say, I was kicked out of the party, I still feel 100% Labour. Um, and I'm, you know, the minute Jeremy Corbyn was elected leader, I'm afraid I think the country decided he was never going to be Prime Minister. And I think a lot of people in Burnley, when I was up in Burnley, yeah, I get a bit of Brexit, but a lot of what I got in the run-up to the last election was about Jeremy Corbyn. Um and I, so I don't think it's that much, it's that, it's that complicated. And, um, you know, I picked up a lot of good vibes about Julie Cooper and I picked up bad vibes as well. And that's the same you get for every MP going. Um, but I, I think actually it was, um, I think Burnley and, and that kind of, you know, uh, the reason I hate it being called the Red Wall is I think it, 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 it 
it tries to simplify a lot of complicated stuff that's going on. But I think if I'm trying to simplify it, it's basically that when it when push came to shove, people were sick to death of hearing about Brexit. They wanted it done, so they got a message: we're going to get Brexit done, even though we're not, uh, not in the way maybe that they thought. And secondly, they saw Johnson against Corbyn, positive against negative. Maybe you could see him in prime minister. Definitely couldn't. I, th I don't think it's much more complicated than that. No. Fair enough. I just want to ask quickly about another subject. It's completely different, but yeah, I was fortunate to go to the Holy Land uh, this year in January before lockdown, and um, my heart broke for that place. And 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 obviously Tony Blair's got a very keen interest in the Middle East. Do you do you see a resolution in sight for Palestine and Israel, or have we got years of this ahead of us? Do you think? Uh... It's very difficult to divorce it from what's gone in the last four years with Trump. Um, I think it's possible. I think it's possible because I, think, I actually think the framework has been in there for a long time. Um, you know, so people are sick to death of sort of saying, you know, it's two state solution, respect for both, blah, blah, blah. But that is true. And there was a there was definitely a time not that long ago when some you might have asked me somebody in your position might have asked me the very exact same question about northern ireland yeah absolutely and the framework was there and eventually the collection of people and the circumstances developed so that it happened so yeah. i wouldn't give up hope i wouldn't give no, up hope. No. i had a good conversation with a friend of yours eamon holmes he was the first guy who came on the in the godcast and uh you know and i went to i visited belfast last last year and it was a city that it you know talk about a, a city that's on the up it was it seems to oh, be that's that listen i've got to say to you that's the other reason why i'm so angry about this brexit stuff because that is at risk if we go if they go down the route of this internal market bill and the changes to the border protocol within the you know the, the withdrawal agreement mm. When you've got the head of the police in Northern Ireland saying that he thinks that is going to be a genuine risk to security and stability, that really matters. It does matter. You're right, it does. So I'm, what I'm going to do for the rest of the day, I'm, the, the next thing I'm doing, I'm doing a talk on mental health with the shadow mental health minister. And what I'm going to do, I'm not going to tweet anything negative for an hour. Till the morning. <laughs> and just tweet something nice and start it with something good. Something nice. Okay. Okay, so when are you, when when will you put this out? Uh, I'm gonna put it out on Friday. If that, I've got uh, got uh, Ella Whelan going out tomorrow, who who I really enjoyed talking to, and um, very more than me, more than me. No, oh, you're all right, you know. But you're you know you're Burnley fan. You did you're right, you're right. It was it's been a happy happy time. You, Good. I mean, well, listen, let me know when it's out, and I'll tweet and all that stuff. Yeah, lovely, and 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 thanks so much for your time. I do appreciate it, and thanks for your comments on uh, on the piece that we've done. And uh, not at all. And uh, uh, listen, drop drop um, drop him another line and say that we had a chat, and say that you know it was my understanding that I said to you that you know for constituent rights to an MP, the MP, you know, is duty bound to reply, and I'd really like to meet you and talk about it. I won't believe in it there. <laughs> no, exactly. All right, mate. God bless. You take care. All the best. Bye. Bye.